um, we uh, before we get started, this is our first series uh, in um, the Christmas series. It's called Visitation. You should have gotten a little book. You know, it looks like this, a little devotional book you can use for the next few weeks. Uh, because we're six eight, we're doing it a week late. We should have started this last week, but. This didn't work. Didn't work with the the whole thing. So uh, we're going to go into Christmas Eve uh, with the last one. So, Amen. Hey, before we get started, just I, I would I would cover your prayers. Uh, Kim and I are getting our first foster kids tonight, so that'll be like woo, throw you for a loop. Uh, and just just to let you know, none of the parent like when they say you know talk to your kids about their feelings, none of that it works with teenage boys. My I I. My son came home yesterday. He said, son, he's 17. How are you feeling? How are you feeling about this whole, uh, you know, getting foster kids in the home? And he goes, why? Quit trying to talk to me about my feelings. Why are you talking to me about my feelings? <laughs> then he walked out of the room. So just doesn't work. Uh, I read all the books and just kind of, anyway, <laughs> let me pray for myself <laughs> before we get started. Father, we thank you that you are here and present this morning. We pray for uh, the blood of Christ over this room, over these people. We pray for freedom. We pray for uh, clarity. We pray for uh, passion. We pray for love. We pray for just us to be drawn into your story. Uh, that even if this story is something that we've heard a million times before, we pray that you would bring us back into it in a fresh, with a fresh outlook. Uh, we thank you so much that you love us enough to enter our history and walk life out with us, live it perfectly, and die in our place. And we, we, we are so grateful for a God that loves us that much. And we're grateful for a God that loves our neighborhood and our world that much. So come and glorify yourself this morning. Let us hear you. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So memory verse for this series we're, we, we are doing, and I didn't, I only have one, all right? Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Very simple, very easy, so I expect somebody to stand up next week and uh, recite the verse and get a prize. Coffee cards from La Colombe. We should get something from uh, Joe's place. He's, Joe brings us from Delicious Chocolates. All that food back there every every Sunday, so we want to. We should get his cards. Um, anyway, but turn to me with, in in your church Bibles there to page six ninety nine. Uh, we're gonna go. We'll look at uh, the book of Luke, specifically chapter two in the book of Luke, starting in verse twenty five. Page six ninety nine in your church Bibles, book of Luke, chapter two, verse twenty five and twenty six. Actually. <clears throat> Luke is both the third book in the New Testament and the third book in the Gospel accounts, and um, and we're going to tether ourselves to this this passage today. Uh, we're going to start there now, but we're going to look in other places as well. So keep that bookmarked throughout this sermon, and we're, we'll come back to it at various times. But we're going to begin today looking at Simeon in uh, Simeon's hope, specifically here in Luke chapter two, verses twenty-five and twenty-six, where it says this. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, I would ask you this morning, have you ever waited for something great, 
something wonderful, something spectacular. We saw last week that Joe Gargano waited for quite a while for his fiancée, Krista. Woo! And he finally got that. Yeah, they got a ring on that finger. Um, but we wait on not only what we anticipate, but we wait on the things that we, we hope for and we long for and things like that. Um, kids wait and hope for Christmas. They wait and hope for summer break. I remember that as a kid. They, they wait and hope for Halloween, you know, getting Halloween candy and stuff like that. Uh, when I was 15 years old, I found a loophole in the system where I could get my license a week early before I was 16. Yeah, I was resourceful. And, um, and I, it was hard for me to wait for my license. I wanted so bad. I don't get kids today. Kids don't really want to drive. I don't, I don't understand it. But I wanted to drive so badly. And when I got, uh, when I put the engagement ring on Kim's finger, I had to wait six months before we were married. That was the longest wait of my life. And that act actually came after a year of waiting because I da- after dating her a month, I said, I'm going to marry you. She said, you're not allowed to ask me until you date me for a year. I said, All right. So I waited exactly one year and then I asked her. Um, I'm not great at waiting. I'm, I'm a very impatient man. I've gotten better, but I still, I, I have to admit I am patient. Simeon seems to be doing much better than I, I ever have. So back to our passage. This, if you look at this passage right away, one thing you notice that it tells us that Simeon was, was a man that took his faith seriously, right? He was a man who walked faithfully with the Lord. It describes him as being righteous and devout, right? He's, uh, He's living this kind of life, and if he lived today, he might be found in church, you know, in worship and study and prayer. He might be found in a community group studying the Bible with his brothers and sisters, you know, uh, during the week. He might be found out in community events or in his neighborhood or at parties or, or at work, you know, having conversations with others about the, the hope that he had in Christ. You know, before Pentecost, when the, the Spirit of God was poured out liberally on people, um, you know, uh, which comes later in the gospel story after Simeon, right? There weren't too many people that the scriptures des- describe as um, having the Holy Spirit upon them, but the Spirit of God was upon Simeon. It, he, he was a guy who was walking in the Spirit, which may reveal to us that if you walk by the Spirit, you live by the Spirit, that if you, if you submit to the Spirit's leading, you're more apt to hear the Spirit's voice in your life, uh, he, clearly hear His leading in your life, um, you know, of course, he wasn't a perfect guy. Nobody was outside of Christ, right? But um, he did walk in righteousness. He kept in tune with the Holy Spirit, right? And so in coming to faith, we have to remember always that we have an unbreakable connection to God the Father due to God the Son, Christ Jesus, right? Um, you know, we have, uh, we have been saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It is the gift of God so that no one can boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, which we've all memorized. I know you did two, two series ago, right? Um, but that connection, our connection was established by Jesus. Jesus saved us, right? I didn't save myself, right? We didn't do it ourselves. And as we Come into Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit, and it's like sort of a pipeline carrying the spiritual blessings, uh, the spiritual nutrients of wisdom and discernment and guidance into our lives. But here's the, here's, here's the, uh, the kicker. The, that pipeline can become clogged. It can become, you know, you know, in Indonesian, we would say machet. I love that word. It gets machet for traffic, like when everything stops, you know, like... Machet, it can become clogged. Isn't that a great word? Machet, machet. 
Oh, machetsa kali. I'm sorry. I'm like reminiscing now. But, um, but it beca- becomes clogged and we, when we disregard the Spirit in our lives, when we don't think about the Spirit, when we don't walk with the Spirit, right? We begin living in ways that are unworthy of our calling, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, right? Um, when we indulge in habitual sin. I'm not talking about just the, the occasional stumble and fall into things. I'm talking about the habitual sin, the private sinful life, you know, or, or where we harbor unforgiveness in our lives and, and anger and we become, or we become prideful, we become bitter and wallow in that kind of stuff. Those kinds of things clog up our relationship with the Holy Spirit. You know, we can't destroy our connection with Jesus. Uh, 6-8 is one that within our statement of faith, we say once saved, always saved. You know, we can't lose that because it's not up to us, right? So we can't destroy our connection with Jesus, but we can dampen the Spirit's voice in our life due to our willful disobedience in our walk. So, and I I deliberated over this next sentence in my sermon. Um, it said, I, I said, I wrote it, I wrote it in there and I started thinking, is this really true? Walking by the spirit always brings ease and adventure and freedom. And I thought my life would be very different if I didn't walk with Jesus. And I have to think about that. It does. Walking with the spirit in my life brings more ease in my life. It brings more freedom in my life and it makes life much more adventuresome in a good way, Right. Adventure kind of scares some people, but in a good way, brings adventure, right? So bookmark Luke chapter 2 and turn to page 797 in your church Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. Page 797, uh, Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17. And Paul uh, describes for us the life of the Spirit here. And I just wanted to bring this up really quickly. It says, so I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful flesh. So your, 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 fo- your focus is not on the negative, what not to do, but on the positive, what to do in the Spirit, right? So your, your eyes are on the Spirit. Your eyes are on Jesus. Your eyes are on where He's going and where He's calling you to, not on, the, all, on all the stuff around you, right? And in verse 17, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what, what is contrary to the flesh. And then if you bump down to verse 25, it says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, Right? And Simeon seems to have been a man who walked by the Spirit, lived by the Spirit, and kept in step with the Spirit, even as he waited. And waiting is a hard thing, right? But what was he waiting for? Well, it tells us very plainly that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel. Consolation being the act of giving relief or, or comfort in affliction, right? It, the, the word here is actually very tied to the word compassion. The word is actually used in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2, which is an important passage. So turn to page 493. I know we're turning around a lot, but page 493 in your Bibles. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. This is an important passage. And um, let's look at that for a minute. It says, comfort, comfort, my people, or consolation, consolation, you could say. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, 
that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sin. So he's alluding to Israel's, you know, eventual release from burden, right? Freedom. He's alluding to her freedom, right? And he, and Isaiah brings us an image of, of Israel being showered with grace, which outweighs her sin. But from where does the consolation come? Well, interestingly, this same passage is the one used to describe John the Baptist back in the New Testament as it continues in verse, or verse 3 of chapter 40. It says, A voice of one calling in the desert, or in, in the wilderness, prepare, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in, in the desert a highway for our God. I'm getting a little too excited. I can't talk. And if you know that story, Right. If you know that story, John the Baptist was the herald announcing Jesus on the scene as the Messiah, the Christ sent from God to bring consolation to Israel, sent for comfort, sent for relief, sent for compassion on his people. Right. Which was what was promised to Simeon. It was what he was waiting for. Consolation by way of the Lord's Christ. He was waiting for this Jesus. Right. And as Simeon's been in the practice of doing up until now, he once again follows the Spirit's leading into the temple courts. Go back to Luke chapter 2, verse 27. It, uh, it says, Luke 2, verse 27, moved by the Spirit. So this man is walking, following the Spirit, right? He went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought the child, the child Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, just, to, just get that image on the front steps of the temple, just out in the temple courts in front of everybody. He's got this baby, and he's holding this baby, right? And verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, he's holding the baby, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. I can go in peace, right? For my eyes have seen your salvation. And he's looking on that baby that he's holding, Right? which you have prepared in the sight of all people. Now, the court of the Gentiles is the place where all the nations could come through and see what Israel was doing, right? The court of the nations, of all people groups. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. In other words, this baby's for the Gentiles and, and for the glory for your people Israel as well, right? Verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. And so the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So some wonderful words and some heavy words, right? Verse 32 tells us that Jesus came for everybody, for all peoples, as promised throughout the scriptures. There's been a lot of talk up until this point in chapter 2 of of Israel's consolation up to this point. But Israel's call has always been to bring the light of God to all people groups, all peoples of the world. And that's what Jesus came for. And as we come into Christ, 
We become spiritual descendants of Abraham ourselves. We are like the spiritual Israel. We are like the, we, Israel was the chosen people of God. We are the chosen people of God, right? It's the same thing. Verse 30 here in chapter 2 and also verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 6, both quote Isaiah chapter 40, verse 5, where it says, and all people will see God's salvation. There's a lot going on here. So we know what Simeon waits for. But what we don't, we may not know is what, what was his situation that surrounded his waiting? Why? What's the need for consolation? Why did they need consolation at that time? Well, up until, you know, Simeon's story is, is the story of Christmas, although this side of it, we're on, we're on this side of Christ being born, right? A story we don't want to get lost we don't want to get lost in all the sentimentality of it, the gift giving, the beautiful little cards we have and fat overfed cherubim and all that kind of stuff. We want the meat of the story. We want, we want the real Jesus story, right? And up until this point, God had not spoken for 400 years before this. He'd been quite silent. And here's Simeon being led by the Spirit, this very clear voice of prophecy during this time about this child. And he not only sees the joy, but he sees the pain that Christ will bring as well. The pain, the pain surrounding him that will come as well, evidenced by what he just said to Mary and Joseph. And we have the benefit now, you know, all these years later, looking back on this event, having some of, seen some of his words or all of his words come to fruition, right? See, Christ's birth comes during trying times for the people of Israel. At this moment in history, Jesus was born under the rule of Caesar Augustus, the same ruler who had coined the term good news and gospel for his government. That wasn't a new term. We didn't invent it as Christians, right? He was regarded as deity and rights of worship had been established for him as a ruler. His rule was thought to be the final solution to peace and order for the world. He was regarded as an everlasting eternal empire. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But through Jesus, there's going to be an upset to Caesar's rule. That kingdom will end. God will undo and surpass the rule of Caesar Augustus. The word gospel would be usurped to mean the rule of Jesus, robbing Caesar of all his glory and giving it rightly to Jesus and his everlasting kingdom. And Augustus is only mentioned once, sort of as this like little step stool to tell you that Jesus is just coming to history, Right? Jesus was also born under the local rule of Herod, the de- this, this horrible, despicable despot who, who killed two brothers-in-law, his, his very own wife and two of his own sons, you know, and, and he, or, he was the guy that ordered all the massacre of all the firstborn male Jewish children because he was scared of this coming Jewish king, right, that he didn't know where he was coming from. He, he's the guy who rounded up innocent citizens when he got sick five days before his own death so that when he died, they would kill all these citizens and everybody would be mourning. It didn't matter that they were mourning for him. As long as everybody was sad the day he died, he was to be happy. He was a sick dude. And it's a comparative image of the kingdom of the world wielding its power through, through the sword, through, through dominance, through military might, and things like that, with the kingdom of God wielding, wielding its power through consolation, through love and forgiveness and things like that. 
In his infant days, Jesus spent his time as a refugee in Egypt under Roman oppression. We know that, right? Divinity sort of unafraid to enter a world of violence and hatred as the God-man. And in the end, Rome thinks it's put an end to uh, any threat by crucifying Jesus, you know, but like puppets on a string, they'd only done what was expected. They'd only done, they'd only aided in the completing of the story of the necessary sacrifice of Jesus for the world. Jews longed for the days of Solomon once again, where he had made silver as like plentiful as the stones on the ground. And they, they longed to be free from Roman oppression. They wanted a Messiah that would come in and kick butt, right? But here's the Messiah born in a stable with animals and shepherds, sort of the menial and the despised as his witness. God made approachable in the form of a baby dependent on two poor backcountry teenagers. That's what they were. They were teenagers. Herod and Caesar struck fear by the sword during that time. Not a day passed, they say, that that, that Herod didn't perform an execution under his rule. Yet God came in the least threatening form that he could, a contrast of two kingdoms, how the world works. And then after a few years, three unclean foreign Gentile kings. They were Gentile kings. They weren't Jewish. Come and they, they undermine Herod's orders just to worship this kid. Everything about his birth was shrouded in tension and contradiction to messianic expectation. He wasn't a military ruler. Even his Aramaic language was, wasn't fit for the kingdom of the Jews. It was too tied to these dirty Gentile nations surrounding them, right? They didn't like that. He hailed from Nazareth, this backwards town in Galilee, known for insurrection. The peace of Rome was sort of the reigning thought of the day. And Jews had splintered into into various groups to deal with Roman oppression and Hellenization. They had zealots and Sadducees and Sanhedrin and Pharisees and Essenes. Society splintered apart. It sounds kind of familiar to me. And they all had their different ways of dealing with the harsh political climate, either violence or pacifism or compromise or whatever it is. And this era even followed the Maccabean Revolt, which lasted almost a century, prompted by Antiochus, who entered into the Holy of Holies in God's temple. It became an event that became known as the Abomination of Desolation, where he sacrificed a pig to Zeus on the altar of God and smeared the room with its blood. And then he declared that no Jew could ever be uh, circumcised again because he wanted them to participate in Greek athletic events. And he did that nude. Apparently that was not, not a good thing to be circumcised. And then he said that no Jew could follow the Mosaic law anymore. Violence broke out as a result of that. And it took Rome 30 years to squash that rebellion, finally installing Herod as their own king of the Jews, which is a title that Jesus would also usurp. Just before Jesus' death from 67 to 37 BC, no less than 150,000 men perished in Palestine due to these uprisings. Jesus' birth came in the middle of a crazy, chaotic, dangerous time. Just a crazy, wacky time. 
And God enters history, placing himself in the hands of two Jewish teenagers from Galilee. And there's Simeon, in the middle of all this, faithfully waiting to see the promised Messiah. And people at that time certainly needed consolation on many different levels. Jews of the time felt the harshness of that Roman rule. They, they felt the weight of their own sin. They felt sort of the, the inability to satisfy the requirements of the Mosaic law. All these things weighed on them. Very cute baby. <laughs> Everybody was like... <laughs> so that was their situation. What, what's ours? What's our situation? We all feel the harshness of our political climate. I don't care which side you're on. If you're Democrat or Republican or whatever in the middle, I don't, you know, I don't know where you fall. I don't care where you fall. But, but we all feel it, don't we? We all do. We constantly witness accusatory words and evil acts and violence and separatism, whether sort of intentional or by default. We're witnessing the death of healthy communication and compromise in our society. Society's dividing right before our eyes through the breakdown of simple respect and rationale and logic. The increased acceptance of harmful personal practices and legislation from the hookup culture to the discussions of law which would enable us to abort children even into their toddler years. Those are actual discussions in our government right now. A brittle, overly sensitive society where emotion seems to reign, right? People triggered and offended at the slightest action or word. I recently watched the story of a woman who was suing a man who had rescued her from drowning. She had fallen, hitting her head, falling in the water. She was underwater for two minutes. He, dr- he dove in, picked her up, put her on the dock, and revived her. And she said that he had never asked her permission to touch her body, so therefore he was raping her. We all know where this leads. It's nowhere good. <laughs> it's, it's not good right now. Maybe stories like this are the extremes, but aren't extremes signs of where we're being led to? We also feel the heaviness of our own sort of sinful nature, don't we? We struggle. I struggle to walk step in step with the Spirit to worship in purity and in joy. I want to do that well, but it's difficult. We find it difficult in a society increasingly juvenile in its sexual, sexual expression, its licentiousness. Can't turn on anything right now without seeing, seeing heaving cleavage. Excuse my language. Right? A society which seems to sort of heap derision and ridicule on Christians who set moral standards, even if just for themselves, while illogically praising other people groups or people's religious expression, overlooking their derision for impoverished people or for women or the subjugation and murder of those that don't share their beliefs. We praise them, but Christians can, are idiots just because they don't want to sleep with somebody before they get married. It doesn't make any sense. Some of us have been indifferent to walking righteously and devout as Simeon did. We have. 
We may not be walking lockstep with the Spirit. But I would remind you that we have found the beginnings of consolation in Jesus. He made the first step. We've been reborn. If you have accepted Christ in your life, you have been reborn. And like infants moving into adulthood, there's still time to say yes to the Spirit's leading and to begin to grow spiritually. There is power in Christ to, our, to, to, to go into our spiritual formation. Positionally, we have been made righteous. We've been made rightly related to God. That's all that means. It's, it's, it, you know, life's being renewed. That's truth on us. And Simeon saw that. Simeon saw this consolation for the world in the baby that he held in his arms. He saw that. Simeon stood on the promise of God. He believed God, right? He said yes to the Holy Spirit. The oath God swore to Abraham, right? The the promised Messiah throughout Scripture. You can't get away from it once you start to see it. A a promise of light for revelation of the Gentiles, revealing that, you know, Simeon's understanding that Messiah was for everybody, all people stretching beyond the cultural borders of Israel and, you know, offered to all people groups, all people of the world. The same promise to Abraham that he'd be blessed to be a blessing way back in Genesis chapter 12 and 15 and 17, that same promise is now fulfilled in Jesus, totally and absolutely. Simeon knew that this Davidic king would bring everlasting consolation, unlike Caesar. He also knows that we live under the harshness of our times, right? The kingdom's come, but it's not yet fully come. We are new creations of Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. That, but in the interim of life, as we walk this out, we still battle a sinful nature in a hostile world as we await the future hope of the kingdom that is going to be established in full. The full reign of God over the world. That's what we hope for. And Simeon's hope had come. He could go in peace, right? The fulfillment of God's promise. The Messiah, the second Adam, offering forgiveness. Bringing peace, but not in the way that they expected. Not in a military way. Not by force and coercion. But rather, Jesus, through his own death and resurrection, ushered in a new covenant. A new way of life. Herod and Rome, crushed by by the sword, Christ brings peace and sacrifice, right? Consolation found in the promise of God and rebirth through reconciliation with God. And like Simeon, our hope has to reside in the Lord's Christ, in Jesus, right? Him alone, nothing else. But we also have to remember that peace doesn't come without a sifting of hearts. As Simeon pointed out to Mary and Joseph, right? Peace is purchased through sacrifice. Peace is purchased through self-denial and struggle. It is a formation in the furnace. It really is. Don't deny that. So we stand not only on the other side of this prophecy, but we stand right in the middle of it. Jesus has been crucified. Mary's soul has been pierced, seeing her son brutally murdered on the cross, right? But the gospel continues. He rises. 
Jesus has risen. The eternal rule of the Davidic king still stands. Jesus now sifting hearts, looking for those people that will say, I now really do understand Christmas. And it's not sentimentality, and it's not gift-giving, and it's not even family and friends. Christmas is a bloody birth into a violent world. An infant king that brings peace to our hearts by personal sacrifice. It's reconciliation with God, and it's restoration of creation. Jesus is the consolation that the world has always needed and always will need. In this baby cradled in the arms of an old prophet, the world, the world finds this consolation and this peace with God. So what are you waiting for and what are you hoping for in your life? Where is your focus? Is there really, really any hope in political ideologies or social or cultural manipulation or legislation of the morality of those in charge in the moment only to be overturned and, you know, by, by those in the next regime? The question is, how can Jesus bring you consolation in any environment you're living, chaotic or peaceful? Is he really your consolation? Do you share the same hope that Simeon had for this world? Do you choose to struggle and walk this faith out with the Spirit? Or is your hope in something else? Because I can tell you right now that hope in anything else is going to fall short, miserably short. And in the middle of our chaos, Jesus brings consolation through three things. He brings it through his word, through his spirit, and through his church. Through his word, his spirit, and his church. His word guides us and consoles us. His spirit leads us, but we must be attentive to his voice. We must practice that. And through, and, and, and through those two things, he prepares his church to bring consolation to the world. So consolation won't come to our society, our community that surrounds us, if he's kept hidden by his people. It won't. He was born in an open stable. Let's keep that tradition alive. Be the open stable. Right? The open life of Jesus. Sacrificially and truthfully loving others in a hostile world. People who, like Simeon, willingly hold up Salvation on the open steps of community proclaiming consolations come in this person of Jesus Christ. That's the truth. We had a great discussion in our community group this week concerning how we can better bring the hope and the consolation of Christ to each other and to our community. And in the coming year, and that's, that's why I had the Browns do that video because they said that during the, our community group. In the coming year, leadership will be thinking hard about how we can do that even better than we already have. We want to really go farther than we ever have. And how how do we do that as a body? How do we we reach our community as a body? And how how do we organically foster that as individuals? That each one of us is thinking about this as we're out in the community with others. So pray for us and offer your own thoughts if, 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 if you have them. Uh, but, but definitely do your part by walking in the Spirit. You are that important.
You really are important in this whole thing. The the Browns were influenced by people around them. You are people around them. You are people around other people. You are that influential, right? Be the church out in community together. And hopefully, we'll draw other people into the life of Christ as the Browns have experienced, but definitely, I would love to see even others that have never seen and never known the consolation of Christ come into the church this year as a result of our witness to them. And I wanted to end today uh, celebrating a story from Chuck. If Chuck could come up for a minute. Uh, Chuck shared something in our community group this week during the same discussion that uh, I'd like him to to kind of talk about. I won't steal his thunder. Hi, I'm Chuck, and I want to thank Jason because he thought this was important enough that I would be able to share it with you. But uh, over Thanksgiving, and I hope you all had a good Thanksgiving, but for my vacation, we have uh, three kids in Clemson, South Carolina. Go Tigers! But uh, So we went down there, and we had Thanksgiving at our daughter's house, and uh, our daughter's boyfriend's parents were there. We met them for the first time. And uh, the father is a pastor in Ohio, and he's a 66-year-old guy, great guy. And after Thanksgiving dinner, he said to me, Chuck, tomorrow morning, we're going out, and we're spreading the gospel. You ready? And I said, Okay. <laughs> So, and I'll tell you, I am probably the most unlikely candidate in here to go out and spread the gospel, but it was one of the best days of my life, and I wanted to share that with you. He has a thing that he does at his church where once a month they go out and they share the gospel with people, but he has, he has a, a tool that he uses, and it's a, it's a tactic that, that works very well because he, uh, he has these little, little uh, New Testament Bibles. So this is our authority, anyhow, to spread the gospel, right? So what this Bible does is it has these tabs on the side. And so you take this Bible and you can share this very easily with someone. While you just go to the, the tabs are designed so that each tab is a scripture verse that's highlighted inside. So when you turn to it, you can see there's a, a black scripture verse highlighted. So you, go, you start off with sin, and there's a scripture verse, and then I won't go through it with you, but I did bring some of these. If anybody's interested, I'd be glad to share them with you. So it goes through sin, death, love, faith, and life. And that's how you, you can lead someone very easily uh, through the true gospel. And we did that. We got up early in the morning. We had breakfast. We, we did a little training going through the verses, which I highly recommend. And then we went out and spent about three hours spreading the gospel. We, we happened to pick uh, homeless people. You know, there, we spent three hours going through uh, Greenville, South Carolina, which is the biggest metropolitan area in South Carolina. And we went from parks to uh, museums right down Main Street. And this is on Black Friday. So there were, you know, thousands of people. And we were stopping and sitting and sharing the gospel with homeless people. This, this wasn't me. This was the Holy Spirit working through me. Uh, and it was an amazing uh, part of my life. And I'll tell you, it's, it's so worthwhile. Uh, and 
just to be an encouragement to you, if anybody's interested, I'd be more than happy to sit down with you and show you. I have some with me, and I'd be glad to get more, because this is a tool. Uh, it's not the only tool. I'm sure there's other ways to do it also. But I'll tell you, it was a, an amazing part of my life and something I'll never forget. And if I can pass that on to somebody, I'd be glad to. Thanks. I thought it was significant when we we met that I think Chuck walked into the room like a little like a foot off the ground. He kind of floated into the room. He was just so excited to share this. He had te- I think you had texted me earlier and before the community group said, "Oh, I don't know. And I was share a group um, Tuesday night." And so, just it, like these things are frightening, right? Like you said, you're you're the most unlikely candidate. It's frightening to share the gospel with people. It's frightening to share Jesus with people, but when you do it, it is adventure. It is wonderful. It feels because it's the right thing to do. I'm not, and we're not talking about being jerks. We're not talking about being Bible thumping jerks. We're talking about doing this with respect and love and care of people. But it is the right thing to do. Um, you don't necessarily have to go out on the street to do that. You can do that through your relationships. You can do that. At, you know, through at a party or just in a conversation with somebody or whatever. But uh, let me pray for us as we end. Father, we thank you that you are here and present. We thank you for your birth. We thank you for Simeon's hope. We thank you for a man that modeled to us saying yes to your spirit and walking with you and, and holding you up on the steps of community and proclaiming you openly to everyone around him. We want to hold Christ up and proclaim you in, in, in the nations, to all the nations, Father. Starting right here in our own community, we want to proclaim you loudly. So we pray that you would challenge us, that you would stretch us, that you would uh, empower us, that you would, you would uh, bring us along in this whole challenge, Father God. We thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.